Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. All right, welcome to another episode of Beyond the Roadmap. My name is Lucas Latour, and I'm the host. Today, my guest is Rahul Agarwal, who is Technical Product Manager at Boomi by Dell. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so glad we, we get a chance to talk. You are um, a very experienced product manager. I was looking at uh, your profile, I think you've been in product management for what, almost like, was it nine years or 10 years, something like that? Around that time, yes. Uh, I started my career in technology consulting back uh, almost a decade ago. And hmm. uh, I also, now that I've been in product management for such a long time, I believe that technology consulting role was a kind of a pseudo product management type role. So I would agree, yes, I've been in this space building software for different business problems for almost a decade now, I would say. Wow. And so now you're at Boomi and, and what is what is Boomi and, and you're a technical product manager. What, what does that mean to be a technical product manager at Boomi? Yes, I think, uh, first of all, uh, product manager is a very wide term these days and it really depends on the business and the technology, how to define this role. So mm. I think it would be good for me to kind of give a lay of the land as in what Boomi does and then maybe deep dive into the exact role I have there. Sure. So Boomi is a data platform and it has been there for a while. Uh, it was, it was doing cloud before cloud was a thing. So let me explain what, what that means and. So you have these different software applications, which in 2010 to 2020 just bursted out of the scene. Now, everyone, every application, every user is using some kind of software. So let's think of a large organization like General Electric. Now, General Electric would have by any given time, let's say 500 to 1000 applications mm. like accounting software, manage uh, HR management software, you name it. And uh, so when enterprises started using these many applications, it was a big burden to get data in one location because just the HR data is in a different format. The accounting data is in a different format, but the CEO really wants to just see very simple metrics of how the business is going. So Boomi solved that very essential problem of connecting your applications across no matter which application it is or which format it is. And that's how it started. And Michael Dell, like the business model, he, he at that time owned a business which was very hardware centric. And he thought in 2014 or 2015 that this is a pro, this is a business problem, which is here to stay because enterprises will just keep on onboarding new software applications. And that's why Dell Technologies acquired Boomi and uh, it has expanded from that connecting software to other applications on top of it. And uh, how we sell it in the market is call it as a platform and a service. So 
enterprises can do many things when they uh, connect data. They could create APIs on top of it and uh, applications, uh, front-end web apps using that data and things like that. Am I? Um, do you have follow-up questions? Am I? Yeah. Uh, no, you're you're good. So and so now, what what is your role like as a technical product manager at Boomi? What is that like? So I go back to my point around the role of product manager, very defined by the business and the product. So now that I provided some visibility into what the business and the product is, you might understand there is a whole big value chain from creation of the product to selling it. Hmm. And uh, at Boomi, we have two layers of product management. Uh, one uh, layer of product management, which works on a daily basis with the engineers and the designers. Since it's a software company selling software, that's where all the, uh, what do you say, business value is created. And that's the technical product manager role, which I am in currently. And mm. then there is a layer outside the technical product management layer called the outbound product management layer, which uh, those product managers look into more partnerships and uh, more high level pain points in the market. Because in a large organization, there are at any given time more than five decision makers. So to kind of succinctly answer your question, the technical product manager is concerned about the user persona. Who's going to use the product? And the outbound product manager is more or less the thinking of the buyer persona. And uh, and it's interesting to see that uh, the shift and uh, we'll touch into the end era of the end user in a, in a moment or so. That era is all about how the buyer user, buyer persona is becoming the user persona and things like that. So, so, um, that's why it's the technical product manager because, uh, I work daily with the, with the engineers and the designers. Gotcha. You've got a, this, this really interesting background where like, it sounds like you were a technology consultant. Like how, how did you really get into product management uh, initially? So from a very early stage, even when I was doing my undergraduation, I was super interested in entrepreneurship. And uh, mm. I always, almost all my life, have wanted to own my own business and run it. What I have not found till yet is a, is kind of a place of passion where I want to spend a decade in. So I looked at the next best thing which I could do. And that drove me into this role, into product management or product development, because I feel, especially in technology-centered organizations and definitely in software companies, a product manager or a product person is the closest you can be to a founder. So yeah. that's been the main drive is to, uh, if you're not founding your own company, then I'd rather do target practice somewhere, you know? Yeah. Well, it sounds like at this point you've you've gotten a lot of of practice and and you know one of the the reasons why I wanted to talk with you is and you kind of mentioned it in your in your answer right before this one is sort of talking about um, you know product led growth and the end user era of software. So for for people that are listening, so what is 
the end user era of software and you know when did this sort of really get started so i would take the example of the enterprise software market uh, mm-hmm. as as since i'm the closest to that and it is also the key i would say drivers in in making this era possible so without going into terminology let's look at a typical scenario so let's look at for example microsoft mm. now microsoft is more than 20 years i think 20 to 30 years old already so how usually software is sold is that companies usually provide licenses and say that hey mr cio or mr ceo why don't you take all our bundle of software for x million of dollars and keep paying us that money if you break the license for 3 years you have to pay a fee and thing like that so you're locked in in a contract and you get a bundle of services which microsoft provides mm. and let's say microsoft decides to build another product and they'll just add few dollars on the contract and the customer will get it so the user in this whole transaction is not no longer present present because imagine you are working at an organization and you have a crm customer relationship management business problem you don't have a say in what software you're going to use because that's been determined by the contract model which is run by the ceo and the microsoft people and that's how enterprise software has been sold for decades and took i took microsoft as an example but there is oracle doing the same thing and uh, these are all multi billion dollar firms which i'm talking about so this is one one side of the track so let's imagine this this is a world where most of if you are not uh, in a software company you'll probably not be much concerned about this contract model let's now look at a different uh, trend happening which is on the consumer side the business to consumer space we say Mm-hmm. A typical example is Amazon.com. So, around the 2000s, uh, the e-commerce started becoming more pervasive in everyone's life. And 2000 to 2010, as internet was becoming obvious for everyone all around the world, you had these many apps. After Amazon.com, there was the on-demand, on-demand revolution with Uber and Airbnb. So what I'm trying to say is that users were consuming different suits of products for different needs in their lives. So you would have an app for driving to another place, you would have an app for looking at a restaurant review, you would have an app for buying a book online and things like that. So 2000 to 2010 internet kind of drove this trend of personalization and and the needs of the user on a consumer level so what we have now is this consumer trend happening where people are becoming more choosy and companies need to personalize their products for their users and then you have this inefficient model on the left where you have top to top to bottom sale of enterprise software and then we come to 2010 I, it's not just 2010. It's it's obviously a more fluid uh, transition, but uh, 
the same kind of personalization then shifted onto the enterprise space mm. that why if you have a customer relationship management business problem in a large enterprise and microsoft doesn't have the right product for it why do you have to use it right so the importance of user experience in the enterprise space started becoming more fruitful in in the last decade and if i could ask a follow up on that uh with the old model where you have the c suite taking sort of this top down approach and saying here's the software that we're going to use and you know it, it, there's that extra step in between the user and you know the the software that they decide to use do people just start to realize that that's inefficient and maybe not the best at solving the problems or how did it sort of i know you mentioned a little bit about like consumers are getting used to using these different suites of software and personalizing what they need for their lives is that did that behavior just carry over into enterprise or, or what do you think really influenced is influencing this change i would say uh there are two things uh if we were to kind of simplify uh, how to understand this mm. first is uh the disruption of created by internet we we see this term thrown around a lot disruption and internet but essentially what's happening is data that you got get personalized recommendations on amazon because of data and that experience is something which you like and you want it to be why have such an experience after your 9 to 5 job why don't have the same experience during your job as well so that's one trend technology i i would say that technology driving user experience mm. and the second one is the uh, whole cloud computing era which enabled from which opened the gates for personalization of enterprise software because before cloud each fortune 100 company had their own private cloud something like that so cloud is just a server put somewhere and when we say cloud it's right now amazon or google managing your servers but in the 2000 to 2010 era a uh, company such as walmart would manage its own servers so mm. how would you as a software provider personalize it because you don't have any metadata on usage gotcha so these two trends kind of converged near 2010 era 2010 time frame and uh, that's where i would say the product led growth kind of came into play there is a study out there which says that if you were to kind of categorize some enterprise software firms into product led growth models that could sum to maybe 1 billion dollar market cap in 2010 and if you use the same parameters to grade them at this time right now in 2020 that market cap would be around 200 billion dollars wow i so i'm not I wonder how how big is the total market cap for enterprise software? Do you know? If you don't, it's all right. I just was curious as a percentage. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> I think um, we can work through it. Uh, I don't know the answer uh, it's, totally it's on top right. of my head, but AWS for example is has revenue or valuation of I think no, has revenue of around 20 billion dollars. 
okay uh, aws and it is considered very nascent right now it is penny in terms of what apple and google is getting so the idea is that aws is a startup in its own space so you can imagine the amount of headway there is in the space already yeah yeah the main point is that it's grown a lot <laughs> over the last decade so one thing i wanted to ask you is how does this change you know product management per se cuz there's there's sort of an obvious change on the sales side of it but does this change your role at all as a product manager and if so how so i firmly believe that the role of product manager is very tightly coupled with business product and the larger market trends mm. and that is why i believe that no matter how much formal training you get in this discipline unless you do it in practice and get that uh, second kind of a spidey sense of things you will probably not be able to succeed in this career so mm. having said that now we talked about end user era we talked about this whole disruption happening in the enterprise space so how does the role of product management kind of go with it right so i i i think with this the the product vision point part remain becomes the most important mm. yes it was always there the product managers were thinking about vision and uh, but now it is even more important because the thing is that you could go in so many directions and you will never have many resources so product vision becomes super important is that what is it that you are trying to achieve what are your core competencies and uh, if the product manager itself is relying on some other department in the company to tell this answer to her then this doesn't become a viable model so the product vision yes the vp of product or the chief product officer or the ceo might have a view on where to go but uh, the ownership of the vision is very firmly shifting to the person who's working with the developers and designers on a daily basis yeah so that's one end of the spectrum the So I just wanted to start by that. If you're not doing vision properly, no matter where you are in your career or in your product life cycle, things will fall. Other spectrum. So I just want to say that this is one, and which is super product focused and uh, uh, dipped into uh, product development. And the other role which is getting redefined is the importance of product marketing. and uh, business metrics so you cannot rely on another department as a product manager to define your own your own marketing strategy and you cannot rely on the coo to give you the sense of how healthy your product is yeah and do you mean the coo for the customer or for the for the business for the business for the company which you are working for gotcha yeah and earlier you mentioned sort of the the change between buyer personas becoming user personas as part of this trend where 
I guess that kind of means that the users are more directly becoming the buyers of the software. I guess that kind of relates to the product vision because maybe before as a product manager, you're building something with the direction of, well, what will the buyer persona want? How can we sell this software? But maybe now it's more directly focused on users. Would you agree with that or is that wrong? Yes, definitely agree with that. And it is simple on paper. It is super hard to achieve. So let, let's visualize uh, this point and, and go into this more. So we have uh, a product manager at a large company or even a small company trying to build for the buyer persona. Now, who's talking to the buyer persona? It's the maybe the C-level, right? So, or, or seniors in, in an enterprise or seniors in your own company are are the ones in that era making the buying decision. So you're always one step behind or maybe even two step behind because that buyer persona is going to talk to the user and then you're going to listen to your own manager or manager's manager and then vision is all distributed. So by the time you build the product and it goes to the user, it is pretty abstracted from reality. Yeah, and, and you could you could easily imagine how... You know, have you ever heard the thing where it's like a rumor that goes around and it just constantly changes because each time somebody translates it to another person, the meaning is slightly different or the words are slightly changed. And so you could easily visualize a user's need going up the food chain. And by the time it reaches the, you know, the C-suite, maybe that that feedback or that data is is different than what it would have been if it were coming directly from the user. I like that analogy because basically what we've been doing in enterprise software is being playing Chinese whispers. <laughs> so <laughs> wait, you're going to have to explain that. <laughs> what is, what is, you said Chinese whispers. It's the same thing Like you uh, sit in a circle with five people and you say something in one year and, and you see what comes out from the other person at the end of the chain. It's entirely different. <laughs> That might be so what say, I was trying to say. <laughs> you say that I want a fridge and then it comes from the other chain that the person needs a car and then you build a car for someone who needs a fridge. So that's how enterprise software has been. <laughs> it is, it's, it's still a transition. I'm saying 2020 is a place where companies such as Slack and Zoom and Salesforce, they are much more prevalent. It would be interesting to see how the decade goes. Uh, but these, at least Slack and Zoom, other companies, which are really the product-led growth kind of flagship companies, I would say, which are reducing this, these Chinese whispers in the enterprise value chain, I would say. Yeah. So we keep talking about uh, product-led growth, and I think people will have an intuitive sense of what it is. Um, but in your article, you sort of mentioned these these four tenets of product-led growth. And I just want to paint the picture for people. Uh, what? How, how should we be thinking about this? I know you have this the circle diagram. Would you mind just sort of talking us through that really quick? Sure. So the four tenets are product vision, product roadmap, product launch, and customer success. Now, all... These four are very, uh, what do you say, substantial topics in themselves. And there are many point of views and ways to tackle them. But what 
through my own experience and now getting more experience in the enterprise software space, I realized that how these four tenants kind of come in together and how they are interconnected. So for listeners right now who don't have that picture in front of them, think of a circle, uh, uh, just draw a circle on, on the paper and name it product vision. And then you have inside the circle, create a box for product roadmap and then make a triangle. And then all these three nodes put product roadmap at one end, launch at the other and customer success at the other and join these three nodes. So what you have is a circle of product vision with the virtuous circle inside going from the roadmap to launch to success. And so for someone who is using this framework to think, where do you start in the circle? Do you, can you start at any point? Well, you start by first building the circle. That's why I say mm-hmm. product vision is super important because without the product vision, without the circle, the kind of model falls on its own. So first is, so it's very intuitive. Like you are building, let's say you are a founder in your, and you're trying to go, you have an idea and you want to build a product to go to market. Then first is draw a circle where, what are your core competencies? Uh, where, what can you actually do? Like if you want to build an, a, a drone delivery service for a particular niche in the market, unless you draw a circle and define that, hey, we're going to do it only for healthcare services or maybe just a subsidiary for Amazon or you have to draw a circle. Otherwise you will just go with an idea of a drone delivery in the larger market. So it starts with product vision. It starts with defining your core competency. What is it that you bring to the table? What is it that you have the expertise in Hmm. and what is it that you have the passion for? Gotcha. And I just want to ask about this too, because we were talking about this trend towards the end user era of software. And one of the core tenants you mentioned is a product is product launch is one of the boxes inside of that virtuous circle within the product vision circle. So does product launch look different under this type of this type of framework than it would under sort of the old way? Like what does a product launch look like when it's product led? So I would want to kind of continue the answer from the previous question because after product vision, you do product roadmap for secondly. Mm -hmm. So if you were to like start the journey today, think of the vision, um, take some time to do it and then think about the roadmap, which is the strategy. How are you going to execute that product vision which you have? How, what are your users? What do they need? What is it that you're going to build? And then only you can think about launch. So that's how it is different in this model because there are ways out there where people think about the launch first. They, mm. and then think about product development or roadmap. It is market led rather than product led. And, uh, sometimes it is sales led. Sometimes it is trend led that this is a trend. So it would be good in a press release. So let me launch this or 
you even launch a product without the product itself, which is, I think the way I don't recommend and at all that you do marketing first without mm-hmm. having a product built so that I'm not sure you have some examples in your mind where there have been these instances where there's a whole huge hype over a product that it is coming, it is coming, it is coming. And then there's no product for users to use. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting too, because at least coming from a world of like thinking around like lean startup type principles, where let's say you want to get some validation for a product, they might say, well, just throw up a landing page and, you know, get some signups. And, and so I guess under this model, that might lead you astray according to this this sort of approach to, to product development. Is yes, that right? And, yes. And that's why I believe that in in our in this modern age, free trial is a given as much as possible. There is some nuance in the hardware space that how would you provide uh, hardware which is free <laughs> and then how do you take it back? Uh, but maybe for the software example, just like you have a responsive mobile website, like if you're building a website and it's not responsive on the mobile, then you're maybe not doing things correctly. It's the same principle. It's, it's the user experience has shifted there because right now, let's say you want to, as a consumer, want to engage with any software, you are not forced into a contract, you have always forced, you're always given the option to use a product. If you like it, then you mm-hmm. can pay. And uh, the same thing stands for the product led growth model, whether it's a large technical complex product you're building, there always some way you can provide some early access to some users. And that's where launch starts basically. Now, do you see and I assume you you must see some uh, on some level that there there could be risks approaching from like market led marketing led growth instead of product led growth. I guess what's your thought on that? It's the thought is that you are not uh, you're not thinking from the vision and the roadmap, and you're thinking from the market first. So when you're building the vision and the roadmap, market is a data point. It's not mm-hmm. the data point. So, mm. so for example, I would say that it would distract you from your product development. Let's say you are in early journey and you are the own developer of the product, or maybe if you're lucky, you got some investment and you have five developers. And if you go market led, then market will tell you so many things you could do. So let's say your vision was to build a collaboration tool for certain sets of users. And now in the market, there is voice happening. There is content management happening. There is all the stuff you could think about uh, in the market because it's a large space. And then you go down that route, you build a feature and you invest time and it's too late. So the other way around is that stick to stick to what you can do, stick to what your users want and take it in that direction and not assume on the side of the user. Gotcha. So it sounds like marketing led growth is more apt to send you down 
rabbit holes of development of different features that seem like opportunities, seem like market opportunities, because you know, it's a, it, for many products, it's they exist in a, in a giant space where there's numerous problems that you could be solving for a user. Whereas product led growth is is very focused on the persona and the the core need of the user. Yes, and it is driven by the trend which we discussed in the earlier part of the conversation around how internet data and software is creating disruption. So nowadays it is relatively easy to create software, if you would agree with me, as compared to, let's say, setting up a whole restaurant and getting sure. a real estate permit and hiring chefs and doing a tasting of food and then getting all the approvals and things like that. Now, with software, it is relatively easy. You can do it sitting in your home and then give it to users. So that's true for everyone. That's not only true for you. If you have an idea, there are 500 people out there who have the same idea and they have the same resources to build it. So that's why product-led growth becomes even more important because then how do you make your users happy if you have any and how do you actually survive in this competition because I talked about 499 people other than you have the idea what about these large software companies out there who can just put some resources on the same problem you have and then move on it with so so idea becoming so ideas are like very cheap these days I would say execution and user experience are is rare and is what would really lead you to success. Wow. Well, this has been a super fascinating conversation. And I guess for the listeners that want to learn more about this, I know you you, you wrote this article, The Role of Sales and Product-Led Growth. Where can people find that and where can people find you? Sure. And, and let me also kind of give a give a background on why I wrote that article, because since I work in an enterprise space and I work with salespeople on a weekly basis, I just wanted to put it out there that yes, we say product-led growth, product-led growth. Yes, it is a strategy. It is a way to go to market. You still need human interaction and you still need the help of sales team. So how do we evolve the sales role? So in the article, you could read more about how to think about it. So to answer your question, where you can reach me, you can read that article and reach me at uh, ra13.io slash product-led growth. You could find the article there. You could look at the model, which we discussed today. And it would also have a link to uh, my Twitter and LinkedIn handle. I awesome. do this because so, I'm... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead, man. Sorry. <laughs> I was just saying that I, I like talking about products. I like talking about new ideas and how to take them to market. And so if you have anything to discuss or review, just reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn or message me on my website and we can set up some time to talk. Awesome. And that's ra13.io is your website, right? Yes. So the front page is still building, but there's a product-led growth section where you can go on the website and read the article and reach to reach out to me. Okay, awesome. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Rahul. It has been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope we get to do this again sometime. Sure. Let's talk about roadmap next. <laughs> uh, but it was great <laughs> talking to you, Lucas. Yes, it was. It was a pleasure here as well. Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at awhnet to learn more.